Hey everyone, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are joining me from. I am so thankful that you are joining us here as part of the Ruby family for our Peeling Back the Layers of Onions event today. My name is Barton Sievar. I'm a chef, author, husband. I live on the ragged, jagged, delicious coast of Maine, where I'm joining you from today in my home kitchen studio, where, uh, well... We got a whole lot of onions happening behind us, and uh, we really appreciate all of your questions and comments that are coming in um, today. This one, uh, especially from Laura P., who had suggested that we do an onion event. Hi, Laura. Nice to have you joining again, and thank you for this idea. Anyway, uh, those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome to the Ruby family. We love having you here. It's really exciting. And for those of you who are joining myself or uh, any of the other instructors in one of these live events, we really appreciate you participating as you do. I've got with you just the short hour with you today before I have to get to some daycare activities. So we'll try and get to everything. But um, yeah, well, we've got a lot of onions to start to talk about and a lot of things. It's a big category and relevant to just about every cuisine there is. So uh, let's get started with that. But before we do, those of you who've joined me before know that I like to start off with a little moment of gratitude. Cooking for people is an act of love. It is an act of kindness. And the first ingredient that goes into everything that we make for others is a little bit of love. So I like to start off just, well saying something I'm grateful for, and I hope that you will do to the same whenever you're next cooking, or even now, share something you're grateful for us with. And for me, you know what, I woke up this morning to a just such a choir of birdsong that, uh, well, Harbin, you know, brings in the spring here on the Ides of March today, that is. It was just nice to wake up with that reassuring idea that spring is indeed actually coming. My, uh, my yard is just beginning to show some cracks in the ice and uh, everything seems to be coming alive up here in Maine where I am. I know it's, it's sort of a, uh, a cruel mistress spring is, as uh, I'm sure we'll get another 20 inches of snow or so before we actually get to grow anything. But if you can see behind me, I've already got my seedlings going for some of the first crops and well, there it is. So I'm grateful for spring and the idea that it is coming. And I'm grateful for you too. So let's dive into it, right? So we're going to be talking about onions today. And as I mentioned, our friend Laura, who joins us regularly, had mentioned that this was something that she would like to see. And apparently a bunch of you are interested in this. So if there are any other topics that you're interested in, throw them over in the in the comment section. We'd love, you know, we, we want to put on events that you want to see. So give us some ideas. So Laura, thank you for that. And before we get started, also, I wanted to uh, mention a book that I had mentioned in a, in a previous uh, event, but this is by Kate Walsh and Guy Ambrosino. Uh, Kate Walsh was actually the editor behind me on uh, three of my books that I've, I've written, so uh, she, is, she is a close colleague and, and friend, but this book, hers on onions, is absolutely gorgeous and was the text that I really used to uh, study up for this event today, and I've got a couple of recipes from it, so I highly suggest you re reach out, find this book, Onions, etc. It's really a marvelous, marvelous book, so thanks, Kate and Guy, for all of your inspiration and guidance. So, onions. Part of the allium family related to a couple of things. So you've got garlic, you've got onions, all of the range of onions, you've got ramps, you've got leeks, scallions, tribes, etc. It's a rather big family. And when we look at global cuisines, you find onions at the base of just about everything, right? In French cuisine, you have the mirepoix, carrot, celery, and onion. In French Canadian cuisine, Acadian, uh, 
Cajun cuisine, you have the trinity of bell pepper, onion, and celery as the base of things. In a lot of Latinx cooking, you find uh, sofrito as the base of things, tomato, garlic, and uh, onions. Let's see, in Indian cuisine, ginger, garlic, and onion is a base for a lot of flavors. In Chinese cuisine, ginger, garlic, and scallions, a form of onion, are the base of the cuisine. So I mean, there you go. That that covers a whole lot of ground now, doesn't it, in terms of cuisine? So onions are incredibly important. And one of the great things about onions is that, well, they're really cheap, they're affordable, and they're available everywhere. And they add so much to dishes. So we're going to explore some of that. We're going to explore the differences between different alliums here today. Do a couple of dishes for you that I, uh, that I love. Uh, one from Spain and a couple from uh, Kate's book here. So with that, um, let's dive in. Let's talk about storage onions first. Storage onions are the ones that you see in the store all year round, right? You've always got yellow onions available to you. You always see red onions and the quality can range and we'll talk about how to buy them. Uh, sweet onions and then the other storage onion that I would call it is the white onion, the, the big bulb white onion. So with those, these are sort of the workhorse, you know, of, of cuisine, especially in Sicilian, Southern Italian cuisine, you get a lot of red onion. The yellow onion, or also known as Spanish onion, is common all over. And this is kind of the go-to in my kitchen. Um, I just like the difference, the, the variety of spiciness to sweetness, uh, as well as the texture that this gives, which is why it's sort of my workhorse. Sweet onions, I honestly don't really find much uh, use in my kitchen. I appreciate them. I think they're useful in, in some ways, but their, their sugar content is so high that uh, unless you're going for that sugar content uh, and balancing it out using savory ingredients such as vinegar, uh, spices, etc., um, I can find this a little bit challenging to, to use. Like if you put this in a beef stew, for example, or um, a curry, etc., you'd add so much sweetness that you might find the dish sort of not quite perfect, but they're delicious, great onions. So how to buy an onion? Well, the first thing that you're going to look for is, uh, well, and I tend to buy onions by the each rather than in those bags, you know, three pound, five pound bags. Why? Well, because if you're picking up a bag, A, you can't really see all of the onions and you're sort of going in, throwing in with the whole lot, right? Rather than being able to pick out the individual onions, uh, looking for quality, looking for even skin coverage, looking for a lack of bruising, uh, squeezing it very gently. You don't want to ruin anybody else's onion, but just giving it a little bit of pressure and it should be firm to the touch, right? It shouldn't have any soft spots. Uh, the skin, that outer skin should be tightly ad adhered and attached to it. This is a really good example. Um, the bottom of it shouldn't be black or dirty. And generally you want to avoid, uh, if there is any black, uh, sort of mold, as you can see here, I pulled this one out. This is an example of an onion not to buy. You can see that the skin is unevenly covering it. This is actually the same, same peel all the way around. Uh, but you can see also that it has some black mold starting to form underneath it. Now, if that happens to you, if you buy a bag of five pounds of onions and you've got one or two of these in there, it's not lost. You can still use this, but peel it back those layers, toss those out, um, and whatever is unaffected by that is good. But that's why I buy by the each. Also, what else should you look for? Uh, 
with the storage onions, that's the same all the way around. Those, those sort of caveats. So the skin should be adhered. It should easily come off though, so it's not too much of a pain. Um, but yeah, there you go. The neck should be sort of attached and uh, should be relatively dry and desiccated. If it's got any greenness to it or any moisture felt up in here, that means generally that the onion wasn't cured long enough. And uh, we'll get to that when we get to growing onions, etc. But that's how to buy onions. Uh, the other way to get onions is to grow them. And one of the very first seeds that I start every year here on my farm, I've got my 1,500 heads or so of garlic already planted out there from October when I put them in. But uh, look at these happy little friends, right? I'm kind of talking like, like uh, what's the gun? Bob Ross there, my happy little onions, but there they are, right? I mean, that's just happy to see springtime and they start popping up like this and they get all tangled up and I've actually got to move these out into the different containers, but here I've got two different kinds of leeks. Let's see, I've got my shallots. I've got uh, Rosa de Tropea onions, which is a purple tube shaped onion uh, from Italy that I really love. I've got two or three other trays over there with several other kinds of onions that I grow on the farm here. And uh, let's see, what do I got? I've got cipollinis, I've got red cipollinis, I've got a couple of other um, uh, Italian varieties of flat onion as well. And uh, those are more seasonal onions. And uh, oh yeah, I've got a whole lot of shallots too. I grow several, several hundred shallots. Um, but not all onions are storage onions. That's why I called these to begin with. There's a lot of onions that are meant really to eat as a seasonal product. Uh, they don't have that long-term storage capacity that these have been really selectively bred for. Um, so it's a treat in the late spring and in the late summer or so to begin to pull these from the ground and uh, cure them just a day or two to, to soften the flavors just a little bit, bring them into balance, harden the flesh a little. And then, wow, I mean, all summer long, we are eating these fresh off the grill, chopped up in salads, mixed with tomatoes, etc. And just like every other seasonal product, there's a, to me, there's a time to say goodbye to them and uh, wait till next year. So we'll get into a couple of those onions next. Let's talk about um, how to cut an onion, right? And we, I, I saw that we had a couple of questions over there about how to cut. Um, specifically how to, uh, how to keep it all together when it, you get sort of towards the last few cuts that you need and the onion starts cutting, uh, coming apart. So one thing for you gardeners out there, something that I am very zealous about is that onion trim and peel, uh, I do not compost it. And the reason why is that there's a couple of rather nasty fungal bacterial diseases that can get into your soil through infected onions. Um, there's, there's one white mold bacterium that once it gets into your soil, you can't really grow garlic for another 40 years or so is the life that lives there. So I am very, very zealous about keeping all onion trim out of my compost. I just, I just throw it away. Um, but I also, of course, use everything I can in stocks, etc., and that is a good use for them. So Let's say how to cut an onion. And I'm gonna stand up here and I'm gonna use a red onion because it's a little more visible to you there at home, I feel. Plus, this is a nice big sized onion. Another, another thing there to mention is that when buying onions, if you are buying something to just to start a dish and you don't need a whole lot, don't buy the giant onion, right? Onions don't keep well once they've been cut. So 
a, a range of sizes in onion is actually quite helpful. So when you're buying them, just think about how much you're going to need. So the first thing I did was to cut off just this, this sort of the top cap, let's call it. And then you from the stem end, go all the way down right through the middle. And this is to cut for dice or to slice. And we can talk about that as well. So I'll remove just that very top layer if need be, if if that's okay, if everything underneath isn't even. Uh, sometimes part of the outer layer will be papery, but other side will be meaty. In that case, I just tend to remove that entire top layer so that I don't end up with any little pieces in there. Because once you dice it all up and it goes into your st stew pot, it's really hard to start pulling pieces out. So in order to cut an onion, you've now got a flat side. Put that down, always gripping here, sharp knife, and you come across and make a couple of incisions evenly all the way across using the full of the knife. And I don't make too many slices across because I tend to go for measurement, the size of the onion by going um, perpendicular to those cuts. I find it a lot easier to hold the onion together the fewer the cuts sort of horizontally that you have. So in this way then, and I'm going to go directly across. Now I'll make a lot of small cuts there. And if you make bigger cuts, well, then you get bigger pieces of onion and I'll show you the difference there. All right. So any of those small pieces that get sort of uh, thrown off there or, or just, you know what, let them be over there, cut them separately. And then holding the whole onion together, nice, clean, long slices all the way down, all the way through. You're not sawing at it. You are slicing it down, letting the knife do the work. And Laura, I believe it was your question about sort of how do you keep it together? Well, you can see that a couple of pieces there were falling apart. Okay, that's okay. Let them be. Pull, just pull them off, put them to the side. And this way, I'm holding it together with my fingers, and I get a very uniform, even cut throughout, right? So now I've got a couple of pieces here that fell off on the sides, right? Instead of them being all mixed in here because I removed them just as they began to fall apart. Now I can go through and easily manage those pieces for the cut, right? And there you go. There is a relatively uniform cut diced red onion. Now that's just half of that onion, not even half, right? So once you dice an onion, you really get quite a lot because these things are very dense and very compacted. So the larger, the larger those cuts on top that you make, uh, the larger that dice is going to be. So this is normally how I cut my onions, about that small. That's how I like it. So it integrates into a dish. Cut it a little bit larger like that, and you're going to have a little bit more uh, visual presence in the dish. You're going to end up with a little bit more texture, a little bit more color. That can be a good thing. There you go. All right. In order to slice an onion, now we've diced. Well, now let's slice. So if you're slicing an onion, you don't need the stem end intact. So I will pull that off again. We'll take that outer layer off. You want to remove any little pieces of skin that fall under there. Um, any little pieces of the core, you can just kind of shove them back in. Now, most people, well, I, I don't know about most people, a lot of people, when they slice onions, will slice it crosswise into these rings as such, right? And so you end up with that. 
Now, however, I find this to be texturally difficult because when you cook it, the cellular structure of the onion grows up from the base and around. So the cellular strength of it is actually in the vertical rather than the horizontal. So when you cut it across the grain of the onion there, you end up with something that is going to wilt down and fall apart a lot easier. Now, there's some benefit to that if you're making a stew or something and you really want it to disappear, great. But I almost always cut my onions lengthwise. And when I start on an onion, I start at a slight angle over here because, well, just the way that the globe of the onion works, if you cut straight down here, you're gonna end up with a piece like this, right? And you don't want that. You want evenness when in your cutting. So when you start off on this side, you see the angle of the knife I'm using. I'm cutting into it and then coming across. And then what you the difference in what you get is slices versus big chunks, right? So that's why I recommend doing that and then just coming through all the way down. And if you get to that last piece and it's a little hard, maybe just kind of hold it like that and carefully do that. And then you end up with a uniformly cut onion. Now that uniformness is important because onions almost always are used to start a dish and you want them to cook at the same rate so they don't end up with different textures, different flavor profiles, etc. So I'm just gonna push some of that onion up here. So there's the diced onion for you. Cool. There's the sliced onion for you. All right. Now that sliced onion, now as I was mentioning, if you're slicing it across in rings, if you're doing a caramelized onion or any really long, slow one where you want to see the onion, say like a French onion soup where you want those nice strands of the onion in there, if you cut them in rings, I find it, it just falls apart to mush and it, it just doesn't really work. So that's that. All right, let's take a question or two, and then we'll uh, move on to some of the onions that I've got here. All right. Um, from Lynn. Hi, friend. How are you? Nice to see you. How do I choose between onion powder, onion granules, or an onion? Thanks for the information. Sure, you got it. So onion powder is, uh, let's see, I, I would say that, I mean, it used in vinaigrettes, used in sauces, used where you want the onion flavor. Uh, which is different than fresh onions. Uh, I find onion powder to be a really great, very charismatic ingredient. I really like it very much, uh, especially in marinades, etc. Um, so I use onion powder when I'm thinking about seasonings, dry rubs, marinades, vinaigrettes. I think about fresh onion when I am looking at adding texture, adding volume to a dish through the base seasoning. Uh, anytime I'm really adding it to fresh vegetables, I will use a fresh onion uh, just to kind of keep those two in parity. Fresh, fresh meats fresh. And onion granules is actually something that I've, I've actually never really used before. And the reason for that is uh, I think in any occasion where I would use an onion granule, really a fresh onion meets, meets the need there. So I would, uh, yeah, I've actually just never, never used the onion granules. And uh, that would be sort of how I uh, separate the difference between the two uses there. Now, one thing that you might be thinking about is uh, how are my eyes feeling right now? And uh, the answer is, well, they're starting to burn just a little bit. But um, 
yeah, luckily this red onion isn't uh, isn't too very powerful. But uh, a couple of ticks, trip tricks or te techniques that you can use to keep from crying. And the crying that happens with onions is that when you mechanically, using a knife, break the cells of the onion, as, as you do, even with a sharp knife, uh, there is a, what is it, a theosulfonate, thiosulfonide. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a chemical that when exposed to oxygen begins to react, to oxidize, and it creates a sort of a cloud of a sulfuric acid of sorts. And that goes up into the atmosphere. It gets into your eyes. Your eyes don't like it and tries to get rid of it by flushing it out with tears, right? And so that is why you cry with onions. The older an onion gets, I believe, the more potent that reaction can become. Um, so ways to get rid of that, well, are to redirect the airflow. What do you mean, Bart? Well, instead of everything just rising into the atmosphere, if you were to light a candle or something and put it right here, all of a sudden you've created a micro system where, by which the candle is pulling air in. So if you are cutting and the candle is right next to your onion, it is pulling in some of that newly onionized air and burning it up and getting rid of it. Another trick is to maybe set up your cutting board right next to uh, the burner and just turning the burner on low. And it does the exact same thing as that candle does. It's drawing air in here to allow for the, the flame. So that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is just to, well, get through it. Um, you know, to me, it's, uh, it's not necessarily pleasant, but it's also not necessarily unpleasant. Uh, it's just kind of part of cooking. And hey, I mean, the onion reminds you, like, I'm alive. This is a thing here, you know? Meet me where I am. Respect me. All right, fine. I get that. So there you go. There's a question from Lynn and a bunch about not crying. All right, from Mary Pry W. Hi, friend. Nice to have you joining us. Interested in the different types of onions, leeks, shallots, ramps, their flavor profiles. Also, the usable, undesirable sections of the onions for optimal flavor and proper storage. Wow, okay, there's a lot in there. And growing tips, too. Sure. So that's a great segue into the other types of onions. So uh, in that same sort of storage onion family is the shallot. Uh, shallots, to me, are, well, there's just really elegant small onions and just a nice way to think about it. I think their flavor is a bit more svelte, elegant, uh, developed. Their texture is wonderful, especially when diced very, very finely in fine restaurants. Really, it's shallots that are the basis of a lot of uh, a la minute dishes. Say you're sauteing some zucchini or glazing carrots, etc. These not only add incredible flavor, but also a little bit of texture. Uh, they can be expensive, so it's, you know, I, I wouldn't chop up a bunch of shallots in order to make a French onion soup. Um, just kind of defeats the purpose of what that rustic dish is. But I really like the Zebrun, Zebrun shallots. These are the, the long, thin, slender ones. I like these because they, they are very easy to cut in the same way that I had just diced the red onion. Uh, cut lengthwise, peel them back, and you end up with a very elegant, very tiny little dice. Like that's a nice, easy piece of vegetable to work with. It holds together well. There you go. There's also the gray shallots or French shallots, which are much more in Dutch shallots, uh, other varietals, which are much more compact, more bulbous. Uh, and those are, to me, equal in flavor, maybe a little bit more spicy, 
but uh, just otherwise not quite as easy to use as this. However, they are still easy to use. But bottom line is most grocery stores are not going to have a selection of varieties of shallots. Uh, so go with what you get at the grocery store. Uh, just make sure that they are fresh and checking for that in the same ways that you do with red onion. So other onion varieties that you get, you get pearl onions. These are rather large pearl onions, sometimes called boiler onions, uh, which is, from what I understand, just a small white onion, basically, but it has a nice sweetness to it. There is cipollini onions, which are the Italian flat onions, and typically they will come in bags like such, one pound. Now look at that thing, right? That's a cool looking onion. Flat, they have a somewhat indented surface there where the neck sort of cups down and a little bit of a convex shape there. Um, very, very thin stem end. And so these can fall apart quite easily. These are wonderful for roasting whole. They're wonderful pickled. Um, they're wonderful in as a sort of antipasto, antipasti selection there, roast in them, and then drizzle them with balsamic vinegar and olive oil, etc. Um, thread them onto skewers and grill them with rosemary brushing oil onto them. I and mean, there's a whole lot to do with those there. You can cut them in half, put them into stews, etc. They have a wonderful, wonderful texture and density to them and a wonderful complexity of flavor. Uh, that I find very, very compelling. Uh, if, if the recipe calls for cipollinis and you can't find them, you can, other onions will be fine. The next best substitute would, for them would be something like a pearl onion or a shallot, just to maintain the same size generally, uh, which is the recipe will kind of state and call for. So cipollinis come in red, white, and yellow. Um, I grow all three of those varieties, and as I do, I then uh, cure them in a little bit of salt. I lightly ferment them that way. I peel them and then lightly ferment them on the counter for a couple of days, and then I'll boil them in some vinegar, uh, acidulated water with a little bit of sugar in there as well, and I'll simmer that down till they're still a little bit crunchy, and then I'll top the whole thing off. I'll cool that down. I'll top the whole thing off with olive oil, and I'll put it in the fridge for uh, probably up to four months or so. And there's just these delicious little snacks. You take them out, chop them up. It becomes this incredible sauce just mixed with a little more vinegar and some olive oil on top of you know, whatever easy dish that you're doing that night. So I've got a, a bunch of those sort of tricks that I keep in my pantry for those occasions. Uh, I know that we had a question about pearl onions um, and getting to peel those because this being a very large pearl onion looks pretty easy, right? But when you get down to those truly cocktail-sized onions that are that big, it's a lot of work to peel those after a long time. So what I do, you get a pot of boiling water going. You just slice off the top of it so you can get sort of some purchase on those layers and then I drop them in the water, in the boiling water. Five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 or so in there. And then that skin begins to slough off at those outer layers without having cooked the inside. And that's key. Then those outer layers will just slough off very easily, making the peeling a lot easier. However, can I give you another hint as to how to peel pearl onions? Great. Go to the freezer aisle and buy a bag of peeled pearl onions. It's that easy. And you know what? They're really good. 
if you're going to simmer these in cream for your Thanksgiving, Christmas, holiday dinners, great, fine. They're perfect. If you're going to make cocktail onions out of them, great. They're perfect. If you're just going to saute them or stew them, fine. They're perfect. Um, are they 100% equal to fresh? No, not at all. Are they 95%? Yep. So go ahead and use those. I wouldn't dice those up and saute with them, but you're not doing that with pearl onions anyway. So that's about the only use I wouldn't give for them. So yeah, frozen pearl onions, really a pretty great product. All right. So then that's sort of the bulb category of onions. Let's talk about the leafy green category of onions, which would be chives. You've got scallions, green onions, and leeks. This is an awesome, awesome leek. Leek is one of my very, very favorite ingredients. I grow a whole lot of them. In fact, half, more than half this tray is leeks here. And uh, that'll be probably, probably about 75 or 100 leeks that I'll grow. Um, I like to plant them pretty close together in, in the early spring. And uh, they grow up much like, much lo looking much like scallions. And then as soon as I need to cull them to give a little bit more space to them, they're these perfect slender stalks. They're about this big and they're perfect for the grill. <clears throat> so I'll go through a couple of times each spring and just pull out every third leak, every fourth leak, etc., and throw those on the grill. There's a great classic Catalan dish of leeks with um, uh, puros. They're called leeks with romesco sauce a puree of tomatoes, almonds, peppers, garlic, uh, all pureed together, roasted and then pureed together with olive oil. So that's a, a really great dish that I love. So let's talk about leeks for a second because uh, this gets to Mary's question a little bit about sort of the desirable parts and, and the other parts. And I know there's some other questions about leeks in here. So leeks have an incredible, wonderful, I think this is the most elegant of any of the alliums. Um, and they have two very distinct parts to them. Can you tell which, right? You have these rather fibrous stalks, uh, the, the green parts, which are the parts that have been exposed to sunlight. And then you have the white shank, it's called with leeks, or the shaft there. And that part stays white. Part of this is because farmers will mound dirt up on top of this to cut off sunlight and thus to prevent uh, chlorophyll for, from forming and so keeping them white. Now that sometimes can put a lot of dirt in those outer leaves. And if you peel them back, you can begin to see that there is dirt and soil grit right in there. And the way that leeks grow is that one leaf is cupped this way, then the next leaf is cupped this way, et cetera, et cetera. So you end up with a lot of trapped grit and dirt in there. So if I peel this down, you can see there's quite a bit in there. You got to get that out before you cut it. Let's just talk about the different uses for this here. So for the green parts, these are incredible in stocks. They're incredible in soups, something where they have enough time to really cook down and for that fibrous nature to really break down. They don't really quickly saute very well, so I would advise against that, but they're also great in purees if you're doing some sort of chimichurri, some sort of green pesto where you can cook them down and then puree them, add them in, is perfect. The white part, delicious raw, delicious on top of focaccia, baked into things, slowly roasted, whole grilled, sauteed as part of the base of a dish, etc. potato leek soup, vichyssoise, it's done and so much flavor in here, so many layers. So let's talk about how to clean leeks. What I do often is I will just 
cut off at an angle, those top pieces resulting in this. I'll wash these and keep them separate for a different use. And then what I found is the most effective way to get all the grit out of it, but also to keep, you also want them to be dry at the end of the washing process because you're, you don't want to saute water, is that I will slice them straight down the side like this. And what that will allow me to do is to open up every layer. And I can wash just about every layer individually. And the dirt tends to form and, and collect right in this section here. So really what you need to do is just wash up there. And I can do that by just going down through each layers. And you'll notice at some point you get down to those inner pieces and the dirt stops. Okay, so I've washed all that off. And now I still have basically an intact leak, but that is perfectly free of any of that dirt. So from here, I can grill it, I can cut it into whatever size shape you want, etc. cetera. Uh, again, with leaks, if you cut them across here, you are breaking that grain or the tissue. And so if you cut them, slice them across, the more creamy, the more falling apart they will become in the end dish. That's great for creamed leeks, things like that. Um, but sometimes you also want a little bit of that texture. And so if you want some of that texture, I might cut them into chunks and then move around the stock. I'll just cut off that very base. And you can kind of lay them out flat. I'll take out just that middle portion like this, lay them out flat, and then just come across like this to get these wonderfully useful little batons, these sticks. So there you go. That is how to clean and to use a leak. I'm getting a little messy here, so forgive me a second. I'll clean up. We'll take another question while we do. Mary, thank you very much for that question. I'll get to ramps in a second, which is a wild leak. I'm sort of a member of the Allium family as well, but very garlicky flavor to it, uh, which is the last of the, the Alliums that I haven't really talked about. So uh, ramps have a broad... They're only wild. I haven't seen them cultivated. I know some people are trying, though. They come out in the spring, and they have this wonderful, cute little bulb at the bottom, then sort of a scallion-like stalk or shaft to it, and then a broader leaf. And they're absolutely wonderful, quickly sautéed. You have to make sure you're getting them from clean sources, washing them well. They, come to tend, they tend to come from uh, wet soil, areas around stream beds and creeks, things like that. We get a lot of them up here in Maine, and it's always a, a wonderful harbinger of the season. Clean them up really well, even uh, using a sanitizing solution at some times, because um, uh, there, there can be, be some foodborne illness, uh, just depending on, on how clean the water around them was. So maybe a drop or two of bleach in with the water is something that I've heard some people say. Uh, that's not what I do but I just make sure to wash them well and then I cook them thoroughly and that's the way to uh, avoid any problems. So, all right, so from Stephanie, what are the health benefits of different onions, red, white, yellow, et cetera, and what's the easiest and fastest way to clean a scallion? Okay, so health benefits. Uh, onions uh, have very little fat to them, negligible at all. Uh, they're usually about 10% carbohydrates, uh, usually about 5% five, 5 uh, or somewhere in the four to, three to 7% sugar. Uh, obviously sweet onions are gonna be more sugar than not sweet onions that have been bred for that slight spiciness to them. Uh, other than that, there's some vitamins and minerals in them. Uh, 
and I, I, I haven't actually studied the nutritional profile of them, but uh, I know that uh, the more color that you have in things, the more antioxidants you'll find. So red onions uh, being there. But given that the role that they play is sort of the basis of meals, of, of foods. Um, yeah. So anyway, thank you for that question. And for the uh, fastest way to clean a scallion. So I have uh, some older scallions that I pulled out of the back of the crisper drawer, which is where I keep all green and leafy onions, uh, all my herbs. Uh, in terms of onion storage, you know, the, the bulborn onions like this, red onions, sweet onions, yellow onions, I keep those on the countertop and I buy them often enough that I, I shop probably four to five times a week. It's just how I prefer to shop. So I don't keep a whole lot of inventory of things around like that. So I'll buy them and I'll keep them on the countertop. Um, but keeping them in your refrigerator can be a way to extend them uh, shelf life if you have a whole lot of them. However, be warned that other things in your fridge will now start to taste like onions. So just that's up to you. Fastest way to clean a scallion, and this is a, a good scallion to show because it is older. That outer leaf has gotten pretty wilty and started to fall. So what I will do is grab it and with as much purchase as I can, just pull that straight down. Any, any uh, wilted or green or browning uh, leaves you can do just the same on the other side to make sure that you've got all of that. And that just goes right into the trash. So if you're using them raw, just cut straight all the way through them. That's fine. There's not a, a, you know, the base is going to be crunchier. It's going to have more flavor, whereas the greens are going to be more aromatic, etc. So when I cut through a scallion, I tend to saute or use the whites for cooking. And for that, I like to cook them, uh, cut them on a long bias so that I get a, a good amount of surface area. If I'm doing something like a chimichurri, where I want a whole lot of texture to them, I'll cut them in fat little rounds, just going straight across something, something like that, maybe, so you can get a whole lot of texture. But this is a very attractive start to a dish, right? Even if you're sauteing those down, they'll look really nice at the end of it. For the greens, uh, the greens, same thing. I will just cut them very, very thinly on a, a severe bias so that you get a lot of texture and they end up like these wispy little threads. And there's a really fun way to cut scallion greens, and that is to keep one edge intact and to cut them on a very severe bias. Let's see, I haven't done this, geez, in many, many, many years. Uh, a very severe bias, leaving one side of them intact. So you end up with these long, thin strands like this. And then if you put this into ice water, what will happen is that they will curl back up onto themselves and create this sort of like tangle of, of brush. I mean, it looks, it's just very, very cool. Um, and they'll curl back onto themselves. It's a great garnish. Beware though that you have to dry them out quite a bit, quite a bit because you don't want to garnish your food with ice water, which will come with it. So that's a fun little thing. It's often used in Chinese and Japanese cuisines, that little knife trick. Um, to give it some nice texture and visual appeal on the plate. Cool. There you go. Thanks. Appreciate you, Stephanie. All right. From Marcy J. Hey, chef, thanks for doing these events. Your joyful wealth of knowledge. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you being a fan. 
using all of the greens of leeks, mostly in stocks and stews. You think they're delicious. Any suggestions on how else to use the whole parts of leeks in a dish? Um, well, I, you can saute them down. Uh, if you're doing something like a green curry, uh, go ahead and just use it like cilantro or whatever else and simmer them down and then puree them into the sauce. Uh, that's a great way to get a lot of flavor. Uh, traditionally, vichyssoise, the potato leek soup, is clear. It, I mean, is a is a brilliant white color. So they only use the whites of the leeks. But you know what? That is a hotel thing. That is a fancy pants food thing. There's no reason why you can't include the green color in there, and your soup will be a little bit green. But it will be more delicious. And I will always go for more delicious than prettier. Um, that is, you know, that's why we eat, right? So feel free to use them there. Uh, they can be sautéed down. You just need to cut them on the bias uh, or uh, against that grain to cut against those the cellular structure so it can break down in the cooking process. Um, but there you go. And they, there's basically you use them as a tough herb. Uh, you can even just simmer them into soups or stews and then remove them, cut them into small pieces, however you want to. Just make sure they're clean and that you're trimming off any really dried out parts from maybe the very top. Um, you know, if there's any pieces here from that original harvest cut that it might have gotten really dried out, that's not going to cook the same as the piece down here, right? That's still sort of vibrant and alive. So I would say you can use these and I'd say probably toss these in your stock pot alone. Cool. There you go. All right, from Judith. Hey, friend. It's nice to see you, as always. You're in Egypt just before the pandemic and saw lots of ancient tomb paintings depicting onions. Yes, of course. They were very important in, uh, in ancient Egypt. I was just reading about that in, in the wonderful book. Now, they're also very important in the cuisine there, and I'm going to do a salad, actually, that's uh, sort of a take on, on something that I had once in the Middle East. So, But your question is, is there an easier way to make caramelized onions than standing over a stove forever and turning into a mummy? <laughs> Yes, dude, there is. Uh, crock pots are a really great way to do it. Um, you can take about 10 hours or so uh, in a crock pot to do, but that's easier than standing over them. You know, honestly, on a stovetop, it can take an hour, two hours or so. I use a water method for caramelizing onions, though, that I like very much, and, and it, it removes a lot of the need to just stand over them for so long. And that is that I start off in a cold pan, I add a little bit of oil or butter, whatever you're using. I add the onions, bring it up to temperature. And as soon as they begin to color and have really wilted down, I will season them with salt, which helps break down the cells, but also to draw moisture out. And that moisture will prevent burning because liquid can only get so hot. And that temperature is below the caramelization point. So by sort of constantly cooking to dry them out, and then I add a little bit more water and let that simmer down. And what that does is it draws out those sugars to the surface, it cooks down those cells a little bit quicker, and so it just makes an even, a more even cooking. Now I'm not talking like douse them in water, I'm talking just a, a quarter cup of water or so, just to kind of re, regain the process of softening those onions. And as you'll see, it, it's a lot easier, it takes a lot less stirring because you're not doing direct heat. Um, but as that water evaporates, those sugars begin to caramelize, and then you sort of stop the process again. And by this way, I also find that they end up with a more even texture and a better, uh, more evenly flavored, because you don't get any really browned or burned parts. Um, so there you go, Judy. 
Appreciate you. Thanks. From Christine, I often use only part of an onion in order to store the leftovers. Should I leave the peel skin on or remove it? And I should cut both ends of the onion or leave one on. Great question. So what I would say is uh, if you are going to use just half of this onion, the first thing I would do is cut it in half. And then I would store the unused portion just like this with the top on, with the bottom on, and I would put it in Tupperware or wrap it very tightly in plastic wrap and I'd put it as far back in the cold freezer, in the cold of your refrigerator as you can. You don't want it to flavor everything else in there, so just make sure it's covered very tightly, but uh, I would, if you're going to store any onion, make as few cuts as possible. So there you go. And then you still have, if you need to cut off this section for the part that you're going to use, Obviously, you can go ahead and do that, but there you go, and keep it cold. Awesome. From Bev, grocery stores doesn't seem to carry very good white or yellow onions. Any tips on how to choose the freshest ones from the oldest? Yeah, uh, again, buy, as I mentioned at the outset, buy individual leaves, or onions, excuse me, rather than the bagged ones, uh, so that you can pick the quality of each and every one of the onions. Another thing to do would be to try an ethnic market. If you've got a Latino market, Latin, Latinx market in your neighborhood or available to you, shop there. Places where onions turn over a lot more. Uh, but generally, most stores have pretty good quality onions uh, you know, that, will, that will seasonally, that will be affected seasonally between when, where they came from, when they were harvested, obviously, but it's really buying the onions individually that I would recommend and never buy the pre-chopped onions. I, I just onions lose all alliums lose so much as soon as they're cut. And as soon as they're exposed to air, all those chemical processes begin to happen. Denatures, denatures the protein, just, it changes the whole flavor. So always buy whole onions in my opinion. So cheers. Thanks. From Mike, what's the best way to caramelize onions without cooking all the nutrients out of them? Uh, interesting question. I, you know, I don't know about the nutrients and, and the heat there, but I would imagine that the method I just described about adding a, a little bit of water constantly through the cooking period would generally keep the heat level more even and lower over time, and that would probably help with more nutrient retention. So well, I'll go with that. Cheers, Mike. Thanks for the question. I appreciate you joining. From Mary Jo, greetings from Ireland. Hi, friend. Thanks for joining us from so far away. Thank you for these interesting informative events. Of course. Um, any tips on the best way to cook and peel pearl onions? Well, there you go. Yeah, the, the frozen method, as I mentioned earlier. There you go, Mary. That was your question. I appreciate that. Uh, but again, to reiterate, if you hadn't heard earlier, a pot of boiling water, just enough to submerge them, uh, take off the top, maybe X the skin one layer deep or so. Uh, drop them in there, five, 10 seconds is good enough just to cook and separate that outer layer. And then it should be easy with a paring knife just to peel them on back and not lose a whole lot of yield on that onion. Um, so there you go. The other way to do it is to have a friend and helper in the, uh, in the, in the kitchen with you who uh, can just be set to task. There you go. That's probably the easiest way about it. But that method with the water as well as uh, with the water also works for peeling garlic cloves as well if you, have if you have tons and tons of garlic to get through. Cheers, Mary Jo. Thanks for your question. Appreciate you joining. All right, Laura. Hey again, friend. When slicing or dicing onion, okay, this was your question about how to keep them together. Um, you know, again, sort of if it begins to fall apart, great. Take the pieces that are falling off 
and separate them out so that you have still the structural integrity that you need uh, you know, in the main body of that onion. So if the two pieces on the sides are coming off, okay, just acknowledge that those are coming off, get the right cut in the middle of the onion, and then go back where you can neatly and easily organize those five or six pieces on the end, and then you can cut those separately. Uh, part of it is also a super sharp knife is going to always yield you better results because it's it's just <laughs> it's just easier on the onion. It's easier on you. You don't have to put as much pressure into things, etc. Uh, and using the right size of knife. So if you're trying to cut a big onion and you're using a paring knife that itself is not the width of the onion, then you're going to be sawing. You're going to be using different angles, right? Just don't do that. Use a big enough knife so that you can do one effective, easy slice down through. Let the knife do the work for you, not your hand. Cheers, Laura. All right. Oh, another one. Okay. Although I find raw onions great in salads and other foods, I also find them a little difficult to digest. Are there any tricks that I can use in order to make them lighter on the stomach? Thank you. Yes. Uh, so this question has come up, I, I think, a bunch in, in various forms uh, in the indigestibility of onions especially as we age and our digestive uh, processes slow down. Uh, I believe I, I read one in seven people uh, have some difficulty with digesting onions, especially as we get older, uh, or alliums in general. And I believe that that's due to fructans, R-F-R-U-C-T-A-N-S, fructans, in, which is a, a carbohydrate sugar. Uh, in, the, in the onion, that begins to ferment, in our digestive system, and it's that fermentation, I believe, that, caused, that causes the distress. So uh, I don't really know how to get rid of that. Uh, I did read that fructans are water-soluble, so that if it's not an allergy, if you want the flavor of an onion, and this, Laura, is for a cooked preparation, uh, is that if you simmer an onion into your olive oil or your fat base, butter, whatever it is, then you can remove the onion and the fructans or the garlic while imparting the flavor that you want into the oil, which will carry it through the dish. But in terms of uh, easing the digestibility of raw onions, I don't really know. Uh, I tend to wash onions uh, briefly before I serve them raw. I think it just helps to hasten or get rid of that whole oxidative process that causes our tear ducts and brings out that very sulfuric, spicy flavor to them. Uh, especially with red onions, I find just a brief rinse under cold running water is enough to really soften that flavor. You still get all the crunch, all the flavor, the spiciness to it, but you just don't get any of that chemical spiciness that I tend to feel from raw onions. The other thing that I would recommend, and this maybe being the first recommendation, given that I, I can't tell you how to reduce the indigestibility of it or get rid of it, is to uh, use fennel. Fennel and onions are very, very similar in the way that they act on a plate. Um, no, fennel doesn't have the same spiciness that an onion does, but it has the same crunch. It has the same sweetness to it. It has the same textural component and sort of visual component in the way that it integrates into a dish or covers a salad, etc. cetera. Uh, it adds a wonderful flavor. It itself is also perfect as a sort of basis flavor. So uh, my wife does not eat onions uh, unless I trick her. 
Uh, it's not an allergy thing or an indigestibility thing. It's a, it's a mental thing. It goes back to her, her childhood. Um, and I, I don't trick my wife out of, out of malice or anything, but it's, um, if I tell her something is fennel and she loves it and it's actually onions, then she's very happy with it. But again, that's, that's not an allergy. It's just a, a mental block on the texture of onions. Um, but she also loves shallots. So yeah, go figure. But, um, Hey, I love her. She's so amazing. Uh, so, uh, replacing raw onions with raw fennel is a really great strategy there. And, uh, if you want a little bit more spice that the fennel doesn't bring great, add a little bit of a mild chili flake to the dish and you're, you're kind of, you're there. So there you go. Great questions. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. It's from Carol. Hi there, friends. Someone told me you cut off the bottom of a green onion and plants it. A new green onion pops up. Have I heard of this? Yes, I have. Uh, and I I don't do this because, as I mentioned, uh, in I farm a lot of garlic. I farm a lot of onions. The seeds that I buy uh, and the garlic that I – my own seed stock, I'm very, very careful about bringing uh, soil-borne pathogens, bacterias into onto my farm. So I don't plant them outside but if you have a window garden if you have even just a pot of tap water if you cut off the bottom of an onion and i think all you need is maybe three quarters of an inch to an inch uh, off the bottom there if you were to put this in water yeah the whole thing would start to regrow and if you put it in soil i believe the same thing would happen so uh, it's kind of a fun thing to do especially if you got kids it's kind of a fun fun thing to uh to to let, let them see how it grows but um I don't know how big they could grow because uh, there's a limit to how many nutrients are, are in a glass of water, right? So at some point, in order to get a full green onion, I imagine you would have to uh, introduce some soil to them. So cheers. Thanks for the question, Carol. Fun. Hey, Julieta. On occasion, I've gotten an onion that looks good, but halfway through the layers, there's a black layer. Do I know how, uh, do you happen to know why that is? And I still peel it away and use the rest, but what is it? Um, so that's a that's a, a bacterial infection, most likely uh, something that got in there uh, for whatever reason uh, as it was growing and began to grow. That could also be the result of some form of physical trauma to the onion. Maybe uh, you know that leaf or so got got damaged, and then because the the way that an onion grows is much you know think about it like a leek but with a bulb at the bottom, right? So onion greens all grow up, and as the bulb's out, a new layer forms in the middle, and the older layers get pushed to the outside. So if at some point maybe a squirrel came along and you know, got its thumbnail into, into your onion green or something, that bacteria might have traveled down into the middle of your onion and caused that black rot. Um, I see that every now and then. It's not... You know, it's nothing to be alarmed about or scared about. I think uh, you do the right thing. I would remove it, wash any of the areas adjacent to it, and then carry on as you would with the rest of the onion. So, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I just made up that whole squirrel thing. I don't know if that actually happens or not, but uh, in some way, shape, or form, some bacteria was introduced to that layer of the onion uh, and traveled down to the bulb. So there you go. If it's on the outside, then it's probably environmental and or trauma related uh like it got tossed into a bucket or something when when they were harvesting it and bruised and damaged so 
Anyway, good question, Julia. Thank you so much. From Maureen, hi, friend. Somehow you diced those onions and not shed a tear. What sorcery is this? Uh, <laughs> the onion was pretty fresh. Uh, I don't know. You know, I started to, to feel it just a little bit. But uh, again, the as I mentioned at the, at the end of that, uh, you know, a couple of tricks, putting a candle right there to just create a little bit of induction to, to pull convection, to, to pull the air away from you towards the candle, cutting it next to, you know, putting your cutting board here and turning the stove on just to draw that air away is a good way to do it. Um, so there you go. Appreciate you. From Colleen, what's a good brand of nonstick cookware to use for sauteing onions without oil? Uh, so I've had great luck with the Misen brand, M-I-S-E-N. Uh, uh, I've had a pan of theirs that also got chipped at the end, but it's a non-toxic, non-chemical um, coating, uh, and it, it really is very non-stick. Uh, I use carbon steel, black steel, or cast iron. Uh, you know, use I've got this old Le Creuset pan, and I would use this for caramelizing as well. This might be a little difficult for caramelizing. It's great for searing, as I did for this dish here, these red onions. Um, but just because it holds so much heat, it might be hard to... Uh, you just have to watch it, is all I'm saying there. So, But you know what? Now that you reminded me that I got these red onions here, I'm going to do up a little dish. So seared onions, caramelized onions, this is not caramelized onions. These are seared, and these are meant to be burned. Um, and that flavor is so wonderful and so rich. I just, a charred red onion in particular is among my very favorite things. Uh, it's so easy. It's so delicious and adds so much to a dish. And there's a Turkish, I learned this as an Egyptian salad long ago, but, uh, in Kate's book, onions, allium, onions, etc. I was reminded of it and it's just a salad of Charred red onions, either grilled or just in a dry pan, so they're caramelized. A whole lot of parsley leaves, a little bit of olive oil, some vinegar, and some sumac. Just a little bit of vinegar. A couple good glugs of olive oil. I like me some olive oil. I know that uh, Forks Over Knives folks out there are not using olive oil, and the salad is just as good without it couple of uh, turns of fresh cracked black pepper. I have fennel seed in my uh, grinder as well because I'm a fennel guy. I just mix the two parts equally. And that's it. Just some salt. Where's my salt? There's my salt. And toss that up. There you go. I, look how beautiful that salad is. And how little effort it was. And then I'll just take the uh, the sumac. And if you've never tried sumac before, chances are you probably have some sumac growing near you. But sumac adds this wonderful, rich, lemony, citrusy flavor to it. Really beautifully, boldly sour. Um, it really takes a place of a lot of salt for me because it really intensifies other flavors that it's with. So this is a good low-sodium sumac, S-U-M-A-C. I buy this from my good friends at Scordo, which is a, a main company here. Some great friends and neighbors who run it. Really great, ethically sourced, wonderful spice blends and, and raw spices. So Scordo.com, S-K-O-R-D-O. Um, but 
Uh, sumac is available from all over the place, all over the world. It's used often in a lot of Mediterranean and North African cuisine. So there you go. And look at that salad, right? It's absolutely delicious. Super easy, super healthful. So parsley and charred red onion. And you know what? I'm going to do one more salad for you because I've got a little bit of time left here. A couple more questions. But I roasted, I sliced and then roasted some sweet onions and uh, in a whole lot of olive oil because the olive oil ends up making the dressing. And the dressing is that all the olive oil right from that pan, and I've got a little bit of sherry vinegar in there, the caramelized onion juices, and then I use a sprig of rosemary to stir it and drizzle it over, and kind of pat it on, because I don't want the rosemary texture in there, but I do want a little bit of that rosemary oil and those flavors. So dab that on, and then I've got a smoked blue cheese. I learned this dish when I was a chef and living over in Spain uh, and I used Cabrales cheese over there. But I went to go get some Cabrales and my local store didn't have any. So, But they did have this interesting Point Reyes, I believe, smoked blue cheese. So I tried that. And look at that salad. And that is a, a lovely, lovely winter salad. It's bright. It's I won't say it's light. Excuse me, let me wash my hands. I won't say it's light, but uh, I mean, what incredible flavors it has there. A little sherry vinegar to sort of punch it up. And that smoky blue cheese or regular blue cheese has that nice uh, alkaline sort of the acidity, the penicillic acidity of the back of the back of the throat that really marries perfectly well with those sweet onions. You can throw some herbs on top of this, of course, uh, but there you go. Nice little Spanish onion salad. All right, a couple more questions, and then unfortunately I've got to run, folks. So, whoa, a bunch more questions. Jeez. Well, I'm so glad that you're all into onions. All right, from Rochelle. Hey, Chef, is it true that red onions are more mild in flavor, best used raw in salads, while white onions have very strong flavor might be best for cooking? Um, yes, I found those that correct. Uh, red onions are if not as strong, but they're more complex. They have more flavor. They're, the sweetness, I believe, is, is a little bit greater, um, but not so much to the point where it is a sweet ingredient rather than a sa savory. Uh, they look really good raw. Uh, and here's the other thing, is that instead of cooking them, they look kind of weird when they're cooked. They get kind of brown. Their purplish color just fades into kind of a murky brown color. And they're not wonderfully attractive. So yeah, in this case, I say you're not going to go wrong by using either raw or cooked. Uh, but yes, in my kitchen, I tend to do the same thing. Uh, I will roast, I will sear red onions, I will cook them and leave them whole or in wedges is a really great way to serve them. Uh, but really, if I'm starting off a saute, doing a mirepoix, etc., it is yellow or white onion. Cheers. There you go. Thanks, Michelle. From Jane, can you describe in detail caramelized onions in a slow cooker? Is oil necessary? Uh, I don't believe oil is necessary. No, uh, I've I've actually never done it in a slow cooker, but I was looking that up online today, uh, thinking that some I'm sure that somebody would. The Kitchen, K I T C H N dot com, has a really good um, prep video about that. They do add some oil to it, but I imagine you can get away with it without oil as well. So check that out. Just uh, Google that. Caramelized onion slow cooker, thekitchen.com. There's a good tutorial. Cheers. From Harriet. Hi there. Uh, I use a vacuum sealing system to freeze seitan meals. 
Uh, however, I'm curious about the same cook meals are safe to do water canning technique instead. If yes, how long on the shelf? Okay. Uh, I'm actually, I, I can't advise you on that. I'm sorry. It's a great question, uh, but that gets down into a level of food science and food safety that I am not uh, accredited enough to give you uh, advice there. So I would look to uh, your state's extension service. Most states, uh, land-grant university states especially, have, have extension services that are uh, very helpful about things like this and, and offer hotlines even for you to call them up. And, and uh, it would also depend really on the difference between those meals, uh, what ingredients you're using there, if you're including alliums, root vegetables versus high acidic ingredients, et cetera. So there's a lot more vari variations to that question than I feel comfortable answering. So I hope you can reach out to your uh, local state authority on that. So cheers. Thanks. appreciate the question. I appreciate you joining us, Harriet. From Anna Z, I was wondering what are good substitutions for onions in dishes like soups and sauces? Some guests coming for Easter that is allergic to the whole family of onions. All right. Back to my friend, the fennel. Um, yeah, fennel it is. It, same, very similar texture, very similar uh, purpose and base level of flavor that it provides. Uh, and the other thing that I would, I would add is maybe some peppers, chili peppers. Hot peppers uh, can very effectively add some of those same nuances and flavors and depths of flavor that you're looking for in onions. Obviously they add spice too, not bell peppers or sweet peppers, but um, so fennel and bell peppers together would, would do it. Celery as well sort of fulfills that role. It's got a cool, clean flavor that adds a nice sort of platform and punctuation for other things. So I would use a lot less celery than I would uh, the original amount called for with onions. Uh, and with fennel, I would say that's a straight swap. Use, you know, if it calls for a cup, use a cup of fennel. So there you go. Thanks. Appreciate you. All right. From Carol, uh, pisladier, the wonderful, uh, the wonderful dish from France. Yeah. With uh, caramelized onions baked on top of like a focaccia type crust, oftentimes with anchovies and uh, black olives. Um, so you had that in uh, France a couple of decades ago, maybe three years ago. You made it with puff pastry and again, enjoy it. But you haven't made it again. Do I have any suggestions for a quicker, easier version? Uh, sure. You just go to the store and get some focaccia, uh, which is the basis of, of the, the dough uh, for all intents and purposes. is very, very similar. Uh, and just make a really nice caramelized onion, black olive, uh, Topping for that, spread it back on, and then just roast it in a very slow oven for a few minutes to, to really allow those flavors to infuse into the bread. Uh, or even just, you know, go uh, – a lot of stores are now selling uh, fresh pizza dough you know, that's, that's just ready to go. And you're talking only 20 minutes or so of, of total time. So that fresh pizza dough has that same yeastiness that you look for in the pisladier. And, uh, yeah. Cheers. Thanks for the question. Appreciate you. All right. I can only take about two more questions. I'm sorry to say with all these great questions here and we'll have to come back to oh, who knew onions would be so popular. Laura P you did. Thanks again for that suggestion. All right. From Mary, when buying vegetable stock, I'm assuming if you don't buy organic, then you're exposed to all the pesticides and metals in the more concentrated way due to the reduction in the cooking process gives. Is uh, that true? I would imagine. Yes, that is true. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not an expert on on how toxicity and, and chemical transference there, but yes, if the chemicals and metals are present in the vegetables, then chances are that yes, they would end up present in the stock as well. So, uh, to that point, I would say yeah, use organic. Cheers.
Appreciate it. Nice concern. All right, from Karen. Barton, interested in future presentations on flavoring soup stocks without meat or salt. It's challenging for me. Great. That's a wonderful topic. You know what? Stocks and so stocks. Great. Cool. We will add it to the list, and we will keep you posted on it. Thanks, Karen. Appreciate the suggestion. All right, how about just one more from Colleen. Uh, thanks so much, Jeff, for the in-depth discussion of onions and the alien family. Two other topics to be very interested in hearing. One for the future is the pepper family and the mushroom family. Absolutely. Very cool suggestions. Yes, I was thinking about peppers because I am uh, actually tonight we start the seeding process for all of our peppers and I'm growing to grow, I think, 13, 12 different kinds of peppers this year between sweet and hot Uh I make my own paprikas and chili powders and all sorts of stuff. So we have quite the, quite the undertaking underway here. So I've been thinking a lot about peppers. So absolutely, we'll put peppers and mushrooms onto the future calendar. And because, well, one more question, because I love you all. I also do a water method from Heather D. I start out with a hot cast iron pan, then turn it down after they've cooked a bit. Okay, so getting a nice bit of char and, and crust to them a little bit. You don't use any oil. Why do I start out with a cold pan? If I'm just using water sautéing, I can use a hot pan. Um, yeah, you certainly can. I use, you know, I've taken to just putting the onions in a cold pan, honestly, because uh, I chop them pretty quick. And normally, since it's the first thing I do, I sort of put the pan on the stove, I put the oil on the pan, and I go to the, uh, chop the onion, and I put it in, and the pan is still basically cold by the time I'm done with the onion. I've just kind of gotten used to it that way. I like how uh, the flavor develops a little bit more evenly, I think, because you don't get that initial char. But if you're doing an oil-free method and cooking them down to a full caramelization, yeah, I, I can see that working really well. Uh, getting that initial bit of coloration, that deep color uh, equals flavor, and then turning it down and letting that low, slow process proceed. So yeah, absolutely, that would work. Cool, thanks. For the question, thanks for joining. Okay, y'all, I'm so sorry to say with about 20 questions left, I've, I've got to run daycare calls because my little ones, well, oh, I love them and I can't wait to see them. And I can't wait to see you again on a future episode of this. You know what, I'm going to scroll down through these onion questions and I will take the very best of them, answer them in a future event as well. So thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you can take a minute to pause today. Think of something that you are grateful for and then take the joy that comes from that gratitude and just make that the very first ingredient you put in whatever it is you cook tonight and for whoever you cook it for. Thanks for joining us here. Part of the Ruby family, Barton Seaver. We'll see you again soon. Thanks y'all. <laughs>